0: chapter nineteen of the convict by g p r james this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter nineteen father peter turned away to the right and walked on for he had yet work to do and a somewhat different part to play before the night was done the versatility of the genius of the roman church is one of its most dangerous qualities the principle that the end justifies the means makes it seem right to those who hold such a doctrine to be all things to all men in a very different sense from that of the apostle five minutes brought mr filmer to the door of the grange and he looked over that side of the house for a light but in vain one of the large dogs came and fawned upon him and all the rest were silent for it is wonderful how soon and easily he accustomed all creatures to his influence his slow quiet yet firm footfall was known amongst those animals as well as their masters or edgar adelon's and at two or three hundred yards they had recognized it after a moment's consideration filmer rang the bell gently and the next instant clive himself appeared with a light in his hand he was fully dressed and his face was grave and composed ah father he said as soon as he perceived who his visitor was this is kind of you come in helen has not gone to bed yet i'm glad to hear it my son replied filmer for i want to speak a few words with you both thus saying he walked on before mr clive into the room where helen clive usually sat he found her with her eyes no longer tearful but red with weeping and seating himself with a kindly manner beside her he said grieve not my dear child whatever has happened there is consolation for all who believe but you know not yet father what has happened answered helen with a glance at her father you will know soon however i do know what has happened helen said the priest though not all the particulars "'and I have come down at once to give you comfort and advice. "'Tell me, my son, how did this sad event occur?' "'It is soon rumoured it was seen, then,' observed Clive in a gloomy tone. "'I told you, Helen, that concealment was hopeless, "'though we thought no eye saw it but our own, "'and that of him who saw all, "'and would judge the provocation as well as the punishment.' "'Concealment is not hopeless, my son,' replied Filmer if concealment should be needful, as I fear it is. Only one person saw you, and he came at once to tell me, and bring me down to comfort you. For he is a faithful child of our holy mother, the Church, and will betray no man. But tell me all, Clive, am I not your friend as well as your pastor? Tell him, Helen, tell the good father, said Clive, seating himself at the table and leaning his head upon his hand. I have no heart to speak of it. The priest turned his eyes to Helen, who immediately took up the tale which her father was unwilling to tell. "'I believe I am myself to blame,' she said in a low, sweet tone, though God knows I thought not of what would follow when I went out. But I must tell you why I did so. My father and I had been talking all the evening of the wild and troubled state of the country, and of what was likely to take place at Barhampton to-night.' it has taken place replied father filmer the magistrates were prepared for the rioters the troops have been in amongst the people and many a precious life has been lost it was what we feared continued helen sadly alas that men will do such wild and lawless things but about that very tumult my father was anxious and uneasy and towards half-past six he went out to see if he could meet my uncle norris as he went and at all events to look out from the top of the downs towards Barhampton. He promised me that he would on no account go farther than the old wall, and that he would be back in half an hour. But more than an hour passed, and I grew frightened, till at last I sent up Daniel Connor to see if he could find my father. He seemed long, though perhaps he was not, and I then resolved to go myself. I had no fear at all, for i had never heard of lord hadley being out at night and i thought he would be at the dinner-table and i quite safe safer indeed than in the day i was only anxious for my father and for him i was very anxious however i walked on fast and soon came to the downs but i could see no one and taking the slanting path up the slope i came just to the edge of the cliff and looked out over the sea to barhampton head There was nothing to be seen there, and only a light in a ship at sea. That made me more frightened than ever, for I had felt sure that I should find my father there, and thinking that he might have sat down somewhere to wait, I called him aloud to beg he would come. There was no answer, but I heard a step coming up the path, which runs between the two slopes, and then goes down over the lower broken part of the cliff to the seashore and feeling sure that it was either my father or connor or one of the boatmen who would not have hurt me for the world i was just turning to go down that way when lord hadley sprang up the bank and caught hold of me by the hand i besought him to let me go and then i was very frightened indeed so that i hardly knew or know what i said or did all i am sure of is that he tried to persuade me to go away with him to france and he told me there was a ship for that country out there at sea and its boat with the boatmen down upon the shore for he had spoken to them in the morning he said a great deal that i forget telling me that he would marry me as soon as we arrived in france but i was very angry too angry indeed and what i said in reply seemed to make him quite furious for he swore that i should go with a terrible oath i tried to get away but he kept hold of my hand and threw his other arm round me, and was dragging me away down the path towards the seashore, when suddenly my father came up and struck him. I had not been able to resist much on account of my broken arm, but the moment my father came up he let me go and returned the blow he had received. We were then close upon the edge of the cliff, and there is, if you recollect, a low railing where the path begins to descend. My father struck him again and again, and at last he fell back against the railing, which broke, I think, under his weight, and—oh, father, I saw him fall headlong over the cliff. I thought I should have died at that moment, and before I recovered myself, my father had taken me by the hand and was leading me away. When we had got a hundred yards or two, I stopped, and asked if it would not be better to go or send down to the seashore to see if some help could not be rendered to him. My father said he had heard the boatmen come to assist him, and that was enough. Clive had covered his eyes with his hand while Helen spoke, but at her last words he looked up, saying, in a stern tone, "'Quite enough.' "'He well deserved what he has met with. I did not intend it, it is true, but whether he be dead or living, he has only had the chastisement he merited. I had heard, but an hour or two before, all his base conduct to this dear child.' I had heard that he had outraged, insulted, persecuted her, and although I had promised Norris not to kill him, yet I had resolved the first time I met with him to flay him alive with my horsewhip. I found him again insulting her, and can any man say I did wrong to punish the base villain on the spot? I regret it not. I would do it again, be the consequences what they may. And so I will tell judge and jury, whenever I am called upon to speak, i trust that may never be my son replied the priest looking at him with an expression of melancholy interest and i doubt not at all that if you follow the advice which i will give you suspicion will never even attach to you i shall be very happy father to hear your advice answered clive but i have no great fears of any evil consequences people cannot blame me for striking a man who was insulting and seeking to wrong my child I did but defend my own blood and her honour, and there is no crime in that. "'People often make a crime when there is none, Clive,' answered Mr. Filmer. "'This young man is dead, and you must recollect that he was a peer of England.' "'That makes no difference,' exclaimed Clive. "'Thank God we do not live in a land where the peer can do wrong any more than the peasant. I am sorry he is dead, for I did not intend to kill him, but he well deserved his death and his station makes no difference. "'None in the eye of the law,' replied Mr. Filmer gravely, "'but it may make much in the ear of a jury. "'I know these things well, Clive, and depend upon it "'that if this matter should come before a court of justice at the present time, "'especially when such wild acts have been committed by the people, "'you are lost. "'In the first place you cannot prove the very defence you make. "'Why, my child was there and saw it all!' cried Clive, interrupting him. "'Her evidence would go for very little,' answered the priest, "'and as I know you would not deny having done it, your own candour would ruin you. "'The best view that a jury would take of your case, "'even supposing them not to be worked up by the rank of the dead man, "'could only produce a verdict of manslaughter, "'which would send you for life to a penal colony, "'to labour like a slave, perhaps in chains.' Clive started, and gazed anxiously in his face, as if that view of the case were new to him. "'Better die than that,' he said. "'Better die than that.' "'Assuredly,' replied Mr. Filmer, "'but why should you run the risk of either? "'I tell you, if you will follow my advice, you shall pass without suspicion.' But Clive waved his hand, almost impatiently, saying, impossible father impossible i am not a man who can set a guard upon his lips and i should say things from time to time which would soon lead men to see and know who it was that did it i could not converse with any of my neighbours here without betraying myself then you must go away for a time answered filmer that was the very advice i was going to give you if you act with decision and leave the country for a short time "'I will be answerable for your remaining free from even a doubt.' "'The very way to bring doubt upon myself,' answered Clive with a short, bitter laugh. "'Would not every one ask why Clive ran away?' "'The answer would then be simple,' said the priest. "'Namely, that he went, probably, because he had engaged with his brother-in-law Norris "'in these rash schemes against the government, "'which have been so signally frustrated this night at Barhampton.' one crime instead of another answered clive gloomily bending down his brow upon his hands again with this difference continued mr filmer that the one will be soon and easily pardoned the other never that for the one you cannot be pursued into another land that for the other you would be pursued and taken that the one brings no disgrace upon your name that the other blasts you as a felon leaves a stain upon your child, deprives her of a parent, ruins her happiness for ever. "'Oh, fly, father, fly!' cried Helen. "'Save yourself from such a horrible fate!' "'What, and leave you here unprotected?' exclaimed Clive. "'Oh, no, let me go with you!' cried Helen. "'Of course,' said the priest. "'You cannot, and you must not go alone. "'Take Helen with you and be sure that her devotion towards you will but increase and strengthen that strong affection which she has inspired in one worthy of her and of whom she is worthy i have promised you clive or rather i should say i have assured you that your daughter shall be the wife of him she loves ay with his father's full consent if you follow my advice it shall be so but do not suppose that sir arthur would ever suffer his son to marry the daughter of a convict as it is, he knows that your blood is as good as his own, and that the only real difference is in fortune, but with a tainted name the case would be very different. There would be an insurmountable bar against their union, and you would make her whole life wretched, as well as cast away your own happiness for ever. "'But how can I fly?' asked Clive. "'The whole thing will be known to-morrow, and ere I reached London I should be pursued and taken.' There is a shorter way than that, answered Filmer, and one that cannot fail. The ship," cried Helen, with a look of joy. Even so, rejoined the priest, she will sail in a few hours. You have nothing to do but send down what things you need as fast as possible. Get one of the boats to row you out, embark, and you are safe. I will give you letters to a friend in Brittany.' "'who will show you all kindness, "'and you can remain there at peace "'till I tell you you may safely return.' "'Clive paused and seemed to hesitate for a moment or two. "'But Helen gazed imploringly in his face, "'and at length he threw his arms around her, saying, "'I will go, my child. "'I have no right to make you wretched also. "'Were it for myself alone, nothing should make me run away. "'But now nothing must induce me to sacrifice you. "'Go, Helen, get ready quickly.' Perhaps they may think that I have had some share in this tumult, and suspicion pass away in that manner. Undoubtedly they will, rejoined Mr. Filmer, and I will take care to give suspicion that direction. Be quick, Helen, but do you not need someone to aid you? I will get the girl Margaret, said Helen Clive, for I am very helpless. And closing the door, she departed. What shall I do with the farm? inquired Clive, as soon as she was gone. "'I fear everything will go to ruin.' "'Not so, not so,' answered Mr. Filmer cheerfully. "'I will see that it is well attended to, "'and though perhaps something may go wrong "'against which nothing but the owner's eye can secure, "'yet nothing like ruin shall take place. "'And now hasten away, Clive, and make your own preparations. "'No time is to be lost, "'for if the people on board the ship learn "'that the attack upon Barhampton has failed,' they may perhaps put to sea sooner than the hour they had appointed. I will write the letter while you are getting ready, and I will go down with you to the beach and see you off. About three-quarters of an hour passed in some hurry and confusion, ere Clive and his daughter were prepared to set out. The priest's letter was written and sealed. A man was called up to wheel some boxes and trunks down to the shore and various orders and directions were given for the management of the farm during clive's absence the servants seemed astonished but asked no questions and mr filmer skilfully let drop some words which when remembered at an after period might connect the flight of mr clive with the mad attempt upon the town of barhampton when all was completed they set forth on foot passing through the narrow lanes in the neighbourhood of the house till they reached and crossed the high road and then, following one of the little dells through the downs, descended by a somewhat rugged path to the seaside. Some of the boatmen were already up, preparing to put to sea, and as Clive had often been a friend to all of them, no difficulty was made in fulfilling his desire. The sea was as calm as a small lake, and though the water was too low to launch one of their large boats easily, yet a small one was pushed over the sands, and Helen and her father stood beside it, ready to embark when a quick step running over the beach was heard and mr filmer exclaimed quick quick into the boat and put off that is edgar's foot said helen hanging back oh let me wait and bid him adieu i know it is edgar's foot the ear of love is quick said mr filmer i did not recognize it and in another moment edgar adelon stood beside them i have been to the house he said and they told me where to seek you we are forced to go away for a time by some unpleasant circumstances mr adelon said clive gravely i know-i know it all answered edgar quickly i watched the whole attack from the hill it was a strange ghastly sight and i will not stop you mr clive for it would be ruin to stay but let me speak one word to dear helen but one word and i will not keep you the father made no opposition he knew what it was to love well and he would not withhold the small drop of consolation from the bitter cup of parting. Edgar drew the fair girl a few steps aside, and they spoke together earnestly for a few minutes. He then pressed her hand affectionately in his, and each repeated, "'For ever!' Then, leading her back towards the boat, against the sides of which the water was now rising, he shook Clive's hand warmly, saying, "'God bless and protect you. Let me put her in the boat.' And before any one could answer, he had lifted helen tenderly in his arms walked with her into the shallow water and placed her in the little bark. clive followed after another word or two with mr Filmer. the boatman pushed off and the prow went glittering through the waves edgar adelon stood and gazed till mr filmer touched him on the arm saying come my son and then with a deep sigh the young man followed him towards the cliffs "'I must go back to the Grange for my horse,' said Edgar, as the priest was turning along the high road, towards Brandon. "'Better send for it,' said Mr. Filmer. "'Your father has returned, and may inquire for you.' "'It is strange,' said Edgar, following him. "'I could have sworn I saw his tall bay hunter among the people at Barhampton.' "'You might well be mistaken,' answered Mr. Filmer. "'But whatever you saw, Edgar, take my advice, and say to no one that you saw anything.' no not to eda edgar did not reply and the rest of their walk passed in silence till they reached the gates of the park they were open and a man was standing at the lodge door with whom the priest paused to speak for an instant while edgar at his request walked on mr filmer overtook the young man ere he had gone a hundred yards and as they approached the house he said you had better go straight to your room and to bed edgar Unpleasant things have happened. Eda has retired, your father has another magistrate with him, and neither your presence nor mine will be agreeable. To my own room, certainly, answered Edgar Adelon, but not to bed, nor to sleep, father. I have need of thought more than rest. And when the door was opened, he passed straight through the hall, taking a light from the servant, and mounting the stairs towards his own room. of chapter nineteen.